Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me today is Joe Healy. It is November now. That means the World Series is over. As we record this, college basketball is starting. You know, we are we are moving rapidly along into winter. Joe, just uh, as as we move into our baseballists next couple months, uh, which for us won't really be baseballists as we have a lot of work to do before opening day. But are you into the more into the football this time of year? Are you excited about basketball season? Are you are you in the hockey? Where, where are we at in the sports calendar for for you? It's a mix. I uh, hockey's a new entrant for me. Growing up in Houston, I didn't watch a ton of hockey, obviously. Um, but since I moved up to the Midwest, uh, I've started paying a little more attention to it. I live in the, kind of in the St. Louis area, so I've been following the Blues. So that was a lot of fun, particularly last year. Um, but that's probably in third place there. The way it usually goes is about this time of year, and you mentioned college basketball starting as we record this tonight. Um, I get really into the college basketball right away. Like I'll I'll probably watch tonight, especially like the, the Champions Classic and, and what have you. And I'll do that for a couple weeks up until a little before Thanksgiving. Meanwhile, still watching college football on the weekends. But then when when basketball kind of gets into the those that kind of lull in the schedule when the, the early season stuff is passed, but conference play hasn't started. I go jump back into full college football, and that's probably what I follow the most. And then obviously college basketball kind of brings us home uh, into college baseball season. And that's this, you know, this is the way I always think about it. And I'm constantly trying to find ways in which I can convince myself that college baseball isn't that far away. And the way I do it is thinking about the fact that you know, with college basketball starting, um, by the time college basketball is over, uh, the college baseball season will be about halfway done. So, um, you know, we, we don't have that much longer to go. And of course, that that's a double edged sword, because thinking about, you know, uh, college basketball season leading us right into the middle of the college baseball season just makes it seem like it's, it's right around the corner. And we've got, as you mentioned, a lot of stuff to do <laughs> before that point. But, um, but yeah, so mostly uh, mostly college football, I would say, but but college basketball certainly, at least initially, I kind of I follow it with a close eye, and then then but really pick that up after New Year's. Yeah, I'm definitely fully immersed in like college football at this point. Uh, you know, Maction starts tonight as well. My alma mater is playing at Western Michigan tonight uh, to kick off the month of Maction. I uh, I have to say I'm more into college basketball these days than I had been in recent years. So I don't know what that'll translate to, but that that's exciting. Uh, the way that the season starting this year, the problem with college basketball is that by the time February comes around, that's really when it's heating up. And that's right. when I have to like fully withdraw fr- from it and pretend that I know what I'm doing when I like get handed a bracket or something. We're going to make it though through these next few months without any baseball. The World Series was exciting. I actually got was randomly at the parade uh, in Washington <laughs> over the weekend. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, I've never experienced that as a Clevelander. Uh, I was not at home when uh, the Cavs won the title. I was in Omaha. Uh, so that was, that was the first time I've ever seen a championship parade, which uh, that, that, was, that was an interesting experience. 
Um, so there's a lot going on, uh, even though there's not a lot going on in the, the college baseball world, it, it seems like. Uh, but there is a lot going on. We are a week away from signing day. And while signing day in baseball is not what it is in football, um, I think a lot of people are happy about that. Uh, it is still an exciting day for all of the high school seniors and junior college players who can officially say what they're doing with the next step of their baseball career uh, and their education. So that that's an exciting day next week. And with that will come an array of content at baseballamerica.com. I will have 2020 recruiting class rankings next week. And next week's podcast will be signing day themed. Last year, we were able to bring on several coaches to talk about their recruiting classes. We had Alabama's Brad Bohannon, Oklahoma's Skip Johnson, Auburn's Butch Thompson, and we might have had a fourth, and I am totally forgetting who that would have been if there was one. It might have just been those three. Uh, I am hoping that we can do something like that again, but full disclosure, I haven't booked anyone yet, so we will see how that goes. Uh, But I, I think that that can be a fun show again next week uh, as signing day rapidly approaches and everyone's trying to put the finishing touches on on their 2020 recruiting classes uh, as as we approach that date. Joe, like I said, there's, there's a big difference between football signing day and what you see on ESPN and what we have in baseball. Do you wish that baseball was more like football with the, the caps and the signing day announcements or, or, you know, is that, is that really not your, your style? No, I wish there was more of it just from the standpoint of not necessarily just for the sake of the pomp and circumstance, but I wish there was a little bit more of it just because it would mean college baseball is in a little bit uh, bigger place than it is right now. And obviously I'm a proponent of that and, and wanting college baseball to continue to grow. And um, I'm not saying necessarily that would be, um, uh, necessarily the, the biggest sign of growth, but I think it would be a, a step in that direction if you could kind of create some buzz around signing day uh, in the way that, that it is with football and basketball and, and, and those sports. So uh, now that being said, I mean, it, some of this stuff does kind of border on the absurd these days. Um, and I, I'm not going to do it, you know, an old man yells at cloud routine where I, I rail on the, the kids these days and you know, uh, turning turning their their commitments into these huge spectacles on TV. Because I think, look, I mean, if you're an 18 year old kid, or I guess you'd be a little younger than that. But if you're you're a teenage kid committing to a school, and um, if I was in their position, I would probably make a big deal out of it too. Because this is one of the most exciting days of that kid's life, and it's something they're going to remember for the rest of their life, and it, it may continue to be one of the most exciting days of their life. So, I mean, why not let them have a little bit of fun with it? Is they're not hurting anybody; they're just having a good time with it. And, <laughs> Um, so, you know, I don't get really necessarily some of the, 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 uh, the crankiness around stuff like that, but some of it does, I will admit kind of border on absurdity, but, but I, I'd just like to see more of it because it means that college baseball recruiting specifically has become a bigger deal. And, and I know college baseball recruiting, and you know this better than I do, Teddy, it's, it's a, a fickle thing because unlike other sports where you don't have to worry about, you know, losing your recruits out from under you because of the draft. Uh, you have to worry about that in baseball. And so it makes recruiting a pretty inexact science. Um, so I know it's always going to be tough for baseball recruiting to be on a similar scale, um, but it would be nice if it inched in that direction at least. 
On that note, if any uncommitted 2020 player wants to announce their commitment on the Baseball America College podcast next week, I am 100% here for that. Oh, absolutely. Please. Uh, you, you know where to find me on Twitter, at Ted Cahill. My DMs are open. You can also email me, teddy.cahill at baseballamerica.com. I am 1,000% serious about that. But that is for next week. This week, we have Cal Poly coach Larry Lee joining us. And the Mustangs actually brought in a a pretty strong recruiting class this fall. Uh, They just missed the top 25, but uh, were listed among the the 10 classes that just missed out. Uh, That class was headlined by Larry's son, Brooks, who was a top one of the best hitters in California last year. Uh, he's a shortstop, big time recruit for them, but it's more than, than, than just Brooks. And uh, we will talk about that with Larry uh, coming up here in a second. But before we get to, to Coach Lee, I just want to mention all the other things going on at Baseball America right now. There are a lot of them. It is a busy time as we head into prospect season. The top 10 prospects uh, that you know and love for, for each of the 30 big league teams are starting to go online. Uh, we're in the East divisions right now, specifically the NL East. Uh, so you make sure to follow those throughout the, uh, the next couple months. Uh, and of course you can get the full thirties with all of our reports and everything that goes along with them in the baseball America prospect handbook, which you can pre-order at store.baseballamerica.com. You can also pre-order the almanac, which we are working to put the finishing touches on this week. And of course, I've mentioned it several times before ahead of the class baseball America's latest uh, addition to the, the book front with, uh, it's all about college baseball, looking back the last 40 years of the best players, best teams, uh, most exciting moments, everything that you loved about, college baseball over the last four decades you can find that in head of the class and again that is available for pre-order at store.baseballamerica.com so with all of that let's get to this conversation i had with cal poly coach larry lee coach it's uh it's an exciting time of year into the fall just uh we're, we're happy to have you on the program to to talk about some mustangs baseball well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Teddy. And uh, yeah, look forward to it. And it's the, uh, you know, you're cautiously optimistic at this time of the year. And it's a time of year where you try to iron out a lot of things and get get players experience, see what they can and can't do. And, you know, there's no consequences right now for, you know, some of the the things that we're trying to do. It's not costing us ball games yet. So uh, it's a good time of the year. It's great. Last year, or from last year's team, you're returning an awful lot in the lineup, a little bit different pitching staff going into next year. How, uh, how do you kind of manage that in the fall when you have uh, one group so experienced and another group still kind of uh, finding itself a little bit? Well, obviously early stages. Uh, we lost two key components last year. Bobby I was, was a starter for us, and Michael Clark, who threw out of the bullpen, uh, we throw multiple times during the week. So the only proven pitcher that we have back is Taylor Dollard, and he threw out of the bullpen, pitched in the Cape. Uh, and we're going to you know, convert him to a starter. So he's the one guy that has uh, experience plus success. 
Uh, we have some other pitchers that have experience, and especially from a, a starting standpoint, but they, they really haven't had that, that much success. So you have Darren Nelson on the mound, uh, uh, Andrew Alvarez, and Chase Watkins. Uh, all three of those, um, you know, got starts, uh, pitched in meaningful games, but uh, kind of limited success. Uh, we do like uh, four of our freshmen that we brought in. Uh, Derek True from Santa Barbara High School, uh, Drew Thorpe from, from Utah, Caden Sheedy from Bakersfield, and, and uh, Kyle Scott from Southern California. They're really progressing. They have some feel of, of what they're doing. Sheedy, Sheedy's just coming back. Uh, he hadn't really thrown uh, since the end of his high school year, so he didn't throw in the fall. He had some shoulder issues, and we're just now getting him off the mound and, and looks good, but True and Thorpe, you know, they, you know, you don't want to really say this, but, you know, they have the ability to come in right now and they, they have something that maybe some of other pitchers don't have, like, like Thorpe has a plus change up and True commands his fastball. So, uh, we're hoping to get a mixture of, of those, uh, pitchers and try to figure out who are going to be our, you know, three or four starters, and then who's going to be able to come out of the bullpen. Bullpen's been very important for us uh, over the last couple of years to where, you know, we we maybe only have one or two possible uh, quality starters, and we turn it over to a couple guys. So I think uh, in all but two of our wins last year, uh, Bobby I, um, Dollard, and uh, I'm already forgetting he's outside on my Michael Clark. Uh, those three guys threw in tw- uh, all but two of those games, all but two of those wins. So uh, shows you how important those guys were. And you lose two out of the three. So, but you, you know, especially in pitching, I, I really never know who are going to be the main contributors uh, when the season unfolds. Uh, you kind of have an idea, but you don't want to put too much weight in, in how they look in the fall because I don't know how it is at other programs, but sometimes position-wise or pitcher-wise, like the, the best position guy in the fall sometimes ends up to be the, the worst guy in the spring. It's just you don't know because you're always playing against each other. You don't know if you're you know bad at pitching because our hitters are, are feasting on them or vice versa. So, um but as long as our guys continue to develop, you know, that's all you can ask. And, uh, you know, we have a long way to go, though. Hitting, uh, the, the, the position players coming back, they're much more experienced. Um, what, what do you like about that group as you look to 2020 and, and the lineup that you can put out there? Well, what, what you just said, they're a year older. I mean, probably in the 17 years pre- previous that, that I was here, it's probably the, the, the for lack of better terms, it was the worst offensive team that I've had. We were very, we didn't have very much. We we didn't have athleticism, speed, uh, strength. Uh, so it was it was a very much a down year. But some of them went out and had good summers. They're continuing to develop their you know swing mechanics, uh, thinking that we brought in some younger players that you would hope that would step in right away. Uh, and then with the addition of Scott Ogren, who missed the entire, uh, his entire season last year, which would have been a junior. He's a redshirt junior this year. 
he had infection in his foot and it uh it, it didn't get uh, uh he didn't get healthy until probably a month and a half ago so it was over a year that it took to uh get back and and uh with the, his addition now there's going to be internal competition there's going to be players that have played a lot in the past that will be good backup players, good role players, you know, barring injury. So, uh, you know, we have an ex- ex- experienced catcher and we brought in a junior college kid. So Miles Emerson returns for a senior year behind the plate. So that's a position that you have to be good defensively and have to understand, uh, you know, what we need as a coaching staff, uh, whether it, it's information uh, game information with with the hitters, or just being able to communicate with the pitchers in the bullpen and, and during a game, and understanding that you know they're they should be credited with half the success of a of a pitcher during a game. So we have him and a uh, uh, kid named Brett Wells, who's a transfer from a junior college in Southern California. So you know we have two capable catchers, uh, and like I said, if barring injury, it's a a much better offensive and defensive uh, lineup from a position player standpoint. So, you know, that's, that's what we need to do. So now we need to, you know, I try to like infield wise, try to, you know, teach our players to play, you know, multiple positions, probably, you know, start them out at shortstop and then, then move them to second, third, and then occasionally, you know, you'll have a, a shortstop that maybe can hit hit a little bit that he can move to first base. But this group is is uh, just has a much higher ceiling than than last year's group did. You mentioned some of the younger players coming in. One of those is is your son Brooks. Just uh, you know, what's that going to be like now uh, with that dynamic? And you know, Brooks was one of the the most highly regarded. Uh, prep prospects in California last year. Just what, what does he bring to the table as a, as a player? Well, you know, he, he's, uh, he, he does some things pretty well uh, from an offensive and defensive standpoint. Uh, what separates him right now is that, you know, no stage is too big. He, he's, he's comfortable, uh, you know, in a, perceived you know high pressure situation uh he just plays the win and so you know he should be somebody that you know hits in the middle lineup plays the middle middle of the the diamond and and just adds some confidence to the uh to the equation and then we brought in a couple of other uh players nick marinton uh from northern california high school kid that i had his brother kyle a few years back and Nick's a little bit more athletic than than Kyle was. He's a right-handed hitter. Uh, he can play all at three infield positions. Uh, and a kid named Tyson Corio, uh, a very young junior college transfer from Delta up in Northern California. He's a sophomore, but he's actually younger than our our incoming freshman. But he's more, he's more of a second baseman switch hitter. So, you know, those three in the infield, if they continue to develop, should uh, you know, uh, make our team uh, much, much better and uh, allows us to uh, move other guys around. So they're, they're all three kind of shortstops. Corey is more of a second baseman, but, you know, most of our guys that we have uh, in the infield are, are ex-shortstops outside of a, maybe one of our first basemen. But, 
we just we try to move them around wherever we can. You yourself have a, a very strong reputation as as a hitting coach. Just what what do you kind of try and preach to these guys to uh, you know to to keep them on on the right path uh, as as you coach them up? You know, there's I don't it's not a cookie cutter approach, but there's there's a lot of common denominators, and it's when when you do something for so long and and uh, and watch video. I mean back. I think this is maybe 37th year in coaching, but wow. all the way back in the, the mid eighties was, was utilizing video and breaking down things. And, and I want to make them their own best coach. So I wanted to understand uh, the mechanics. I want to understand, you know, faults and fixes uh, and be able after a year or two that, you know, they could go out and, and teach, uh, a younger kid, how to hit, and a lot of them are able to, to do that. So, you know, if they're a good body awareness guy, you can make those adjustments fairly quickly. If they're not a very good body awareness guy, it, 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 it's going to take some time, and, and it's not going to happen overnight. But, you know, there's some, some things I believe in, but if you can get a guy that can elevate, hit elevated line drives with backspin to probably two-thirds of the field, they're probably doing some things correctly, but if they're if they're hooking the ball and slicing the ball the opposite field, then uh, there's probably some holes in their swing. And, you know, when they face – I try to always uh, develop these guys so when they go into professional ball, they're able to swing a, a wood bat, be successful against those high-end pitchers with velocity and late movement and better off-speed pitches. And so there's a number of things. It's a, it's, it would be a, a long answer, <laughs> but it, it it's, you know – and and what you might tell one hitter is not what you're going to tell the other hitter because there's, you know, there's some hitters I say, uh, you know, think about hitting line drive uh, on the infield dirt and that loose that lightens up their backside and it gets their, it flattens out their swing and gets it you know more on plane and, and they're trying to hit line drives in infield dirt and they're they're launching balls you know they're they're really back swinging balls in the alleys and other guys that. You know, are just the opposite. I try to say, you know, try to hit the ball two thirds way up the the light towers in the outfield, and that does the same thing. It gets them on plane. So th- there's different ways to uh, approach individual hitters, and you just have to. It's, there's a lot of trial and error, and there's a lot of drills. I'm not a gimmick guy, but there's some there's some like I said, common denominators. I think that are that usually. Cause I I don't get the guys that you know like like Sheffield's bat wiggle or Julio Franco, or, you know, you could probably pick out some guys in the major league. Now I can't, you know, teach a guy like Derek Jeter to stay inside the ball and be on his heel and have 3,600 hits. I mean, it's like <laughs> my guys can't, can't do that. So um, it, it's more of a basic approach. And then once they kind of gain those, fundamental skills then they can kind of reach out a little bit more and and uh if they if they need to have a signature to their swing then they can can uh um you know go from there but you know i i've always believed in in, i think everything that we hear about nowadays all the technology it goes in cycles and for me touching the ball is important and you know i i'm not a uh I, I don't like the fact of the high strikeout guy, things like that. And, you know, you can talk analytics, but I just think 
uh, touching the ball, adjusting with two strikes, hitting, you know, hitting elevated line drives. And, you know, obviously if you hit the ball hard and it's, it's good things will happen. So you, you don't need analytics to tell you that. It's just uh, you can kind of see it with your own eye. and You, you have an idea of what's going to be successful against the, the better pitching uh, and what gives you a better chance to, you know, hit with a wood bat and, and uh, finding gaps or hitting over guys' heads. So, and, and also, it's like you're probably not going to, you know, there's guys that crush the ball and it's 370 feet, but it's going to be an out every time because of their their strength or their stature. So, you know, why would you, why would you, you know, stay with that philosophy just because it says says that it's a well hit ball because because that ball's not dropping anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's very very fascinating stuff. All just all encompassing on, on the hitting front and. You've certainly had some good hitters in your program over the years. That's kind of been one of the hallmarks. Another one is the way you schedule, which is usually pretty ambitious. Uh, this year, for instance, coming coming up, you have the MLB Four tournament to open the year in Arizona against Vanderbilt, UConn, and Michigan. Then you have another series against Michigan. Uh, you're playing Baylor and Oklahoma. Um, just what what goes into your scheduling philosophy there for for the non-conference? Well. You know, and sometimes, like last year, we had a, a quality schedule. We went to Washington, Oklahoma, Baylor, and we, we didn't fare very well. We just didn't have, you know, the, the team that can compete with those guys. And we didn't, you know, the last three years, we've kind of figured out to win ball games by conference time. But, you know, as a coach, I mean, I just like different experiences. I, I would rather play the best of the best. I'd, you know, uh, I, I would like to do home and homes, but if we have to go someplace, you know, I want our players to experience that, and I want them because because the good ones want to uh, be in that environment. And you know, to be good, you have to figure out how to be comfortable and how to have a quiet mind in, in those situations. And uh, I think it's a good learning experience. Sometimes we're ready for it, sometimes we aren't. We used to be ready uh, in the past for a number of years, and, and for whatever reason, we we haven't really been ready. Uh, you know, the first game of the, of the, of the year. So, you know, we're hoping that that changes. Uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult now because starting next year uh, in the 2021 season, uh, Bakersfield and uh, UC San Diego come into our conference. And so now instead of 24 conference games, we get 30 instead of seven non-conference series, we have five, so you know, in theory, you're taking you're you're taking a Baylor and an Oklahoma out of the equation uh, on a particular year. So it's going to be difficult for us, uh, especially for you know we do these I do these schedules you know three four five years out, and it's it's tough to get teams to agree, and it's tough to get like I said the home and home. So uh, and we just uh, next year's schedule in 21. I mean, we just had two two Power Five cancellations, and what looked like a, a real quality schedule now just got, uh, you know, it just went the opposite way. It's just a very, you know, very average or below average schedule. Where I had a uh, an SEC series on the road, and I had a a big a big ten, ten team uh, coming here. They both canceled and that's kind of who we are, right? We're kind of a mid-major and if it kind of doesn't fit into their plans, then, then, 
that's that's the problem. So, but we just deal with it and, and uh, try to do uh, you know whatever we can. I do like the, the the schedules. It probably should be more of a you know two high end. If you had six open weekends, two high end uh, uh, programs that you could play, two that are very equal, and two that maybe maybe you can get some wins, but haven't done that in the last few years and you can kind of see by our record we're just kind of hovering you know at 500 or right over 500 the last three years yeah last year i think it was 500 but you finished second in the big west just a couple games behind ucsb you're trying to get back to the tournament for the first time in a a few years now what 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 has to happen uh to to take that step now just being out in the west and not being the pack I think now, you know, this year may be a little different, but next year, I mean, basically you got to win, win the conference. So now it's going to be an 11-team conference. I mean, you saw what Irvine did this year or this past season. You know, they they won 37 games. Uh, they won 13 series. They only played 54 games. They had two legit guys at the top of the rotation on the weekends. They had an older team that could hit and play defense. And I don't even, I you know, I don't know where they landed, but they – they might not even been in the last, you know, the, the last four outs. Uh, so it shows you where our conference is too. The Big West, we we're respected, I think, only within the confines of of uh, maybe baseball coaches. Uh, we we used to kind of, you know, I went back for ten years, and you know, we were like fifth ranked the fifth, you know. Uh, highest conference, and then then six, and then we jump, and and now we're we're in double digits, and it's going to get worse now too with the addition of two more teams, and you know it's nothing against Bakersfield or or UC San Diego, but it's great for them. It's just it just adds two more teams, and it's it's difficult out here to you know some, when when we have a high RPI, I, I can't even figure out why we have a high RPI. It's, obviously, it's just winning games, and I don't think it has anything to do with strength of schedule. Uh, I just think that you have to win, but the wins out here are very difficult. You know, your, your, your midweek games are against quality uh, opponents. Uh, for us individually as a team, we just have to get better players. I just, I just think we, we, you know, a uh, few years back, the draft really hurt us where we lost a couple of extra players on our team that were frontline guys that I didn't think would get drafted. I thought they were more senior signs. And then we combined that with losing a couple of high-level uh, high school kids. And basically, we we didn't recover. We just we had uh, you know two or three classes that were not not very good, and that's that's why we're in the position we're in. And you know we we've been last three years in the Big West. We placed second all three years, but those are you know, it's, 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 they haven't been very talented teams. And so we just have to kind of guess right more. I mean, our, our recruiting, you know, not, not too many, not too many kids want to go to Cal Poly, you know, to, to be honest. And, um, you know, it's the pack first. We'll lose out to those guys uh, the majority of time. And so the guys we're getting, we just have to guess right, and we just have to kind of predict the future and have them develop. And 
when we were good, I mean, in 2012, 13, 14, those three years, we won more games than anybody in California. So we won more than, you know, UCLA and Fullerton and Stanford. Uh, and those guys weren't highly recruited. I mean, I could go over the lineup of the of 13 and 14, and it was like they're what they they were getting recruited if they were getting recruited by lower end schools outside of maybe one or two guys, you know, and during those three years. So we just guessed right, and we had a, we had enough freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and a couple seniors that kind of kind of developed at, at the same time and we were able to ride it out for a, a few years but I think a mid-major out here it's difficult to you know to have like a five or six year run where you're you're competing each and every year that's our goal I mean but we just we, we have we've we've had our spurts and we just haven't been able to you know elongate it and, and stretch it out to where where you would like it I mean you would like to be a you know, a regional team, two out of every three years or three out of every five years. But if, if you look at who's getting the regional bids out here, I mean, there's there's some droughts with, with uh, quite a few programs. Absolutely. And, I mean, we saw this year even with Fullerton, you know, one of the longest streaks in the game finally gets yeah. broken. And it's, uh, like you said, it's not getting any easier as, as everyone, you know, works harder and, and uh, you know, all the competition and everything that goes into all of the metrics and everything. Well, getting like, like you know, I mentioned Irvine. Ir- Irvine could have got to Omaha very easily. I like I mean, that team. Yeah, yeah, they're they're legit. They're well coached. They they have the players. And the frustrating thing is that, and and we've been on that end a couple of times. We, we've we've uh, like my third year here. I go out, and that's why I kind of put. I go let's make a regional by our third year here. And we were thirty six and twenty. Fullerton and Long Beach were. Like legit, they had the Weavers and the Little John, and they, they had they had they were at a, a completely different level. And we were second place, two games out. We were tied with Long Beach, and our our starting pitchers were big leaguer, big leaguer, big leaguer, third rounder, fourth rounder. I mean, those were our five pitchers that that we used, and we had quality guys on the field. We I, I don't even think we were like last last four in, and then it happened again with Hanniger and Mike Miller who you know, both big leaguers that we could have hit our way through a regional. And so, you know, I've been on then that in two or three times and that's what becomes frustrating. And we, we, you see no light at the end of the tunnel. And then, like I said, when an Irvine does that with the team that they had and the schedule, they played a good schedule. It's like, you know, how are we going to get back to getting, not three or four teams from the Big West in. How are we just going to get two teams in? Yeah, absolutely. So. And that's that's going to be something to watch going forward because, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, we're working with a lot of forces here just from all sides, and you yeah. want to see it. You want, like, these teams are good. Well, well, and, and like I said, like, Fullerton's – there's been some very uh, – Kind of below average Fullerton teams, and um, and and uh, those teams have reached the World Series, and it's like they they have the mindset, and you know they're the they're the one program that's just going to continue to to flourish because the the mindset is so ingrained, and, and you know 
Hookie's just part of that 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 chemistry that they have, and I don't think you can mess that, that place up. <laughs> no one has yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've always said that. I go, it's it's great, and it's uh, but it, it's uh, you know that that that's always the uh, flagship of the Big West. But you know, I think we had a four-year stretch where you know we had a Big West uh, make the College World Series. And I think three of different teams that 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 made it, and yeah. so it's a it's a quality conference. It's not. A, quite as strong as it as it as it has been and uh but we're hoping to for the whole conference to kind of get back on track and and raise the level i think a lot has to do i think 10 years ago a lot of the conferences a lot of the teams from outside of the west were, were not in california uh you might have a few teams but i don't think vanderbilt or auburn or or um um you know, some of those teams were, were ever in California, and now I'm guessing they take 60, 70 quality players out. You know, Baylor last year, Baylor, Steve Rodriguez has his California ties with Pepperdine, but they had, they had eight California kids on their team, and three of the four starting infielders were from California. And so, you know, we, we, we might get two of those kids in the past, and then, and, you know, other teams in the Big West get two, and, and they just, it it changes the whole product that you put on the field. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I, I've really enjoyed uh, visiting with you here today. I just have one more question. We can get you out of here on that. And uh, you've been at Cal Poly for 18 years now. Just what, what's your favorite part of, of being a part of that community, of the San Luis Obispo community, just being a, uh, the, the head coach there? Well, you know what? I, I, I was, I was born here. My dad was a coach at, at Cal Poly from, he was here from like 1952 to I think 1988. So he coached baseball, basketball, football, and boxing. And so I was brainwashed. So, you know, I had two, two older brothers and my dad and, and, uh, we all played, you know, all, th- all three sports and then kind of knew we would continue baseball wise. Uh, and so I just, I wanted to be a head coach. And uh, I wanted to live in San Luis. So there's two places. You know, I, I went away for for college and, and uh, pro ball. Came back, got my master's at Poly, and I was an assistant two years at, at Cuesta Junior College, and then one year at Poly back in the the mid '80s. And then the Cuesta job came open, uh, and then uh, stayed there for 16 years. And then this this job uh, came open, and I was at that time. I was I was happy where I was at, but I just I, I knew I, I needed to take this this job and did so. Now this is my 18th year coming up. So the the area is great. There's not a better place to live. Family was always first. I I I'm, I don't have the the ego uh, to have to do something to you know be f- fulfilled. So you know before the before the Cubs won the World Series, I always said that you know I'd rather be the manager of the Cubs than the Yankees. I'd rather try to put my you know thumbprint on on a on a program and, and start from the ground on up than take over something that was that was rolling. So I don't know. I just it's again just who who I am. The living where I want to live, uh, raising my family where I wanted to raise them was was 
it, it wasn't even a consideration of of going elsewhere unless it was you know at the right time in the right place where where maybe I would stay there for a number of years and then eventually move back here to retire but uh hoping to have a you know quite a few more years to to coach and and uh, you know as long as I still enjoy it but the, the losing kills you i mean to to be honest i mean that's the the one thing that would drive me out of the game it's just it's it's tough and, and baseball is that type of a sport where you're going to lose a lot of ball games but uh i just you know want to be competitive i want to be able to match up with anybody that we play and and put out a good product and and uh you know be in the running for you know postseason that that's that's really what you want and you know as long as we're developing but players that's that's you know, I owe it to them each and every day to, to teach and develop and to try to get, you know, get them prepared for the next level, if, if at all possible. Absolutely. Well, I'll be looking forward to, uh, to seeing you guys this spring. I'm probably going to see you guys uh, out, out there in that opening weekend tournament. That should be a fun one. So we'll, uh, we'll be very excited to see how the Mustangs uh, progress here in 2020. Okay. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Love the, the work that you do. And, uh, All right. Our thanks again to Cal Poly coach Larry Lee for joining the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, you were not able to be a part of that conversation uh, live when it happened, but you uh, you've heard it now. What uh, what stood out to you from from what Larry was talking about, especially with regards to to the Mustangs uh, as they look to 2020? Yeah, I mean, it's there's certainly um, well, first of all, I'm certainly you know, was impressed kind of by the way he's just kind of a nerd about uh, what he does, particularly uh, from a hitting standpoint. And, and I mean that in the, in the best possible way. And it's easy to see why, you know, people often mention him as one of the best in the, in the business. Um, you know, if, if he takes that kind of care uh, and, and is that thoughtful about kind of answering questions here on the podcast and was that meticulous about it, you can only imagine the kind of instruction he's giving in a, in a practice setting or uh, within the games making adjustments. So that, that kind of struck me there. And, and, um, you know, certainly Cal Poly is a team that, that I'm interested to see because he, he alluded to some of the stuff that's happened. I mean, they were they were so, so good. And I actually went back and looked at that 2014 team before we started recording today. And I'd kind of forgotten just how crazy good that team was, um, you know, on both sides of the ball, frankly. And so I was reminded of that. And, and they just they have had kind of, kind of a tough run. He alluded to you know, getting hit by the draft and in a program like Cal Poly, you know, and any program, frankly, that's not Vanderbilt, LSU, one of those, those uh, big heavy hitters in college baseball, getting hit in the draft can be something that you don't recover from for several years. Um, and that was, you know, maybe kind of the case here. And I, I seem to remember, and you know, I don't remember the specifics of, it, but I seem to remember they've had a couple of years where they had a key injury here or there. That's really kind of torpedoed what otherwise might've been promising seasons. And, um, you know, he got into some of the challenges they have, and, and I suppose we'll discuss that a little bit later on, challenges for that program and just the Big West in general. But, um, you know, so it's it's not an easy place necessarily to win. I think maybe some people look at, uh, you know, some of the stu- the location geographically of that program and think maybe, you know, they should be a little more successful. But they're, you know, they're, uh, you know, they've, they've been a successful program, just maybe not to the extent they would have liked. And, um, but I certainly think there's upward, um, uh, some, um, potential upward potential for this this program not just in 2020 but moving forward the the thing you're talking about with the hitting is you know larry's one of the most respected hitting coaches in the country and you know you, you definitely hear it come through and 
all of that stuff was was very interesting to hear you know that that's a big part of why they keep producing good position players at that school um they have good pitchers too spencer howard's currently the phillies number one prospect speaking of the the, the prospect lists starting at baseball america uh you know spencer howard cal poly product is, is number one on that list but you know you, you think about where they were in 2014 when they hosted a regional and you know i i know at times i i've thought you know well, why can't they you know build on that a little more than they have and but it's uh you know like you're saying it's a it's a challenging place uh when you think about it even geographically yes they're in socal although they're like borderline not in what southern californians consider southern california if you right. look on a they're map only like ostensibly socal yeah yeah like i look on a map as a midwesterner and i say that's in the southern part of the state but kyle glazer has tried to tell me and carlos repeatedly that cal poly is actually in norcal but they're they're not close to la ultimately and so you know getting people to come up there whether we're talking about recruits or whether we're talking about you know opposing teams it's not necessarily as easy as you know a fullerton or a lawn beach or an irvine you know and and so that that has various implications and uh, i do like the team this year though i like that freshman class i like what they have coming back yes they have to figure out a lot on the mound you know, we talked about the pieces they're missing there and, and how it's going to look different. But I do like the the returning core of hitters they have. Bradley Beasley's a great guy to have in the lineup as a fourth year player. Um, you know, that's a guy you can really build around. And uh, you know, if if some of these freshmen can can step into roles, uh, be it on the mound or, or in the lineup, finding their way into the lineup, then then I think that that Cal Poly can uh, you know make another solid run at this. And the other thing is that they've been like finishing second or third in the Big West the last few years, they just haven't been able to build the non-conference resume to have any chance of getting into the postseason. They've been about a 500 overall team, even though they're one of the better couple teams in the Big West. And I, that kind of brings us to a larger point that I wanted to talk about today, which is just kind of where the Big West fits in everything, because we have this team that, it's been consistently finishing near the top in Cal Poly hasn't made the tournament in the last few years. And, you know, the big West is a league that we look at and we think of traditionally as a multi-bid league. And it hasn't been that, um, they have produced Omaha teams since then, but it does seem like the, the peak of the big West when we're, we're thinking about the, the Long beach teams with, with Weaver and Tulo and, Longoria and the the great Fullerton teams, uh, you know, 04 national champs and just doing what they did on a national stage that seems we're a little removed from that at this point, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Coach Lee alluded to it a little bit um, in the interview that, you know, there were some teams there that some Fullerton teams in recent years that were you know, fairly mediocre for large stretches of the regular season, and they just kind of figured it out in the postseason. And you know, the postseason's a fickle beast, too. You only have to really get, like, marginally hot in the postseason and just have some breaks go your way, and you end up in Omaha. And that's not to to downplay the accomplishment of doing so, but some of those Fullerton teams in recent years were, you know, not teams that I think if you looked up in April or May, you would have thought that's a team ticketed for Omaha, and they and they managed to get to get there. So, um, you know, if you take kind of that out, 
of the equation. Suddenly you're kind of looking at a different story uh, with the Big West. There's been some high highs. Obviously they had, you know, that uh, super regional with, with uh, you know, hosted at Long Beach a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, there, so there's been some some high highs for the league. But overall it has been kind of, uh, you know, a downward trajectory. And, and I think I really appreciated his candor about it. And specifically, I think one thing that, you know, uh, maybe doesn't get talked about when you talk about league strength a little bit is just how, some of this conference realignment has has really hurt some of these leagues. He he talked a little bit about it with the teams they have coming in that are at least initially probably going to be teams at the bottom of the league. And the Big West is certainly not alone in that. I mean, I look at a, a league like the Southland Conference that that you know I followed pretty closely for a while now, and um, some of the teams are starting to turn around a little bit. But for the most part, the teams that have moved up mostly have come to the league from moving up from Division Two have kind of been a drag on the league's RPI. And so if you're a team like Sam Houston two years ago that went 24 and six in the league, um, that's not a guarantee to get you an at-large bid, even if you win 40 games and you, you dominate the league like that and you win a handful of non-conference games against the A&Ms and the Rice and, and the Houstons of the world. Um, and that used to be, you know, in a, in a different era of the Southland Conference, that probably would have been good enough. But Conference USA is another great example. I mean, they, they siphoned off a lot of their best teams, got siphoned off into the American Athletic Conference, and the teams that are now in there to replace them uh, just aren't of the same quality. And you, you could argue from a baseball standpoint that CUSA has been as hurt by conference realignment as any other league in the country. Uh, so it's not a Big West problem. It's, it's you know, several of these leagues have had a similar issue. I think it's just... Uh, the Big West is going to be experiencing now at a time when you could argue they really can't afford to have that kind of drag on their RPI overall. Yeah, and that's not the first time I've heard concern about the way the Big West is going to look in the next couple of years. There are a lot of people in that league, I think, that see the the are disappointed with the way the realignment played out, that there's a feeling that basketball was prioritized uh, in a league that, isn't really that big of a basketball league and you know at the expense of baseball and you know so that's going to be that's something to watch as you know we we look at schools like Fullerton and Long Beach Irvine Cal Poly UCSB that are all pretty in on baseball you know we've seen an increased commitment from UCSB since they made those run the since they hosted their regional and then made Omaha the next year they they have increased their commitment to the sport uh, we know what Long Beach and Fullerton and Irvine want out of baseball and Cal Poly is pretty well invested as well and the top half of the league is fully in and you know I think it's fair to say Northridge at this point is is in on athletics in general but. You know the the bottom half of the league is it's in a different spot almost I feel like and there are RPI there are real RPI anchors in that league and you know it's I don't I don't know but it's also not helped by the fact that they don't have football you know a lot of conferences in college athletics if you don't have football you're at you're seemingly at risk of getting left behind if you aren't a serious basketball power. You know, I'm not talking about the Big East. You know, even the West Coast Conference is able to rely on a lot of money coming from March Madness via Gonzaga and St. Mary's and, and other teams, you know, BYU having success 
on that stage, which then leads to a bigger share of CBS um, broadcast money coming into the league. The Big West doesn't really have either of these things. And it's uh, it's tough at, at some of these places, I think, with, without some of this bigger money siphoning down. And, you know, it, it's a, it's an unfortunate byproduct of where we are in college athletics right now. But the environment is really tough on the Big West, which from a college baseball perspective is really unfortunate to see because these are traditional powerhouses. Everyone in college baseball knows how important Fullerton and Long Beach are, uh, knows the history of the the programs. And, you know, right now it's not they're they're not in a great spot relative to where they have been in recent history even. Yeah, a couple things there. I mean, one, you make a good point about not having football, and it can cut both ways because I think the opposite example is a school like Dallas Baptist, which, I mean, not only do they not have football, but baseball is the only Division One program, unless something has changed recently. I believe that's the case. And so they're kind of the crown jewel of that athletic department, and that has its benefits, but but you're right. I mean, not only just for the reasons you, you suggest, but also, I mean, it's just kind of um, you know, it's a way that you can promote your school and promote your brand. And, you know, if you're, if you're a school that has a big time football or basketball program, uh, you know, speaking of recruiting, these kids are seeing your brand year round and know you as more than just a, a baseball school. So it certainly cuts both ways. And I think you're right about the way in which it's hurt the big West. I, I also wonder, you mentioned the West coast conference there and made me think how much, maybe it's a minor factor. And I'd be curious your thoughts too. But, you know, the West Coast Conference is kind of feels like a little bit of an ascendant conference in some way. I mean, they were markedly better than the Big West last year by just about every measure in, you know, the RPI, et cetera. You know, and you've got a lot of programs that have, I mean, Gonzaga has really been steady at the top of that, at the top of that league. And BYU is clearly invested in baseball. They just brought in a top 25 recruiting class. You know, we'll see what St. Mary's does in the post-Eric Valenzuela era, but they've really been consistent. You know, LMU just got to a regional last year. Then, of then you've got, you know, Pepperdine, which historical power there, kind of similar, frankly, trajectory to the Big West powers in that way, where they're they're not maybe what they once were, but that's there's still some heft there. And then, you know, San Diego, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, San Diego was kind of the bell of the ball in terms of uh, mid-major programs on the West Coast. So, you know, I wonder if that's a little bit of what's going on here, too, is just that maybe there's a little bit more competition on the West Coast where a kid that might have gone to Fullerton or Beach or... Uh, you know, so one of those uh, Cal Poly, what have you on the West Coast is maybe now looking at a program like a St. Mary's or an LMU or a Gonzaga. I think there is to an extent, you know, I, th- I think there's something to this, but I'm not sure the West Coast Conference, what they've done recently is truly sustainable, first of all. Um, like, I think that it, it may have definitely been a factor the last few years, but St. Mary's before Eric Valenzuela got there was historically nothing. For, for baseball, um, had never been to the tournament, had never really competed. I think that's probably changed now. They, they tr- you know, they lose Valenzuela to Long Beach and get Greg Moore, who had success at San Francisco uh, before he went to, to Northridge and then wasn't really able to kickstart uh, Northridge. So I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I think that they... You know, having seen it, it be, yeah, the, the foundation that was laid, like, I don't think it's going away. Like, I think St. Mary's will be solid, but there are real challenges there. Uh, LMU's interesting because, of course, they also lost their coach. Jason Gill's now at USC. What's that going to look like? 
Uh, yeah, it wasn't that long ago that Bryant was at San Diego, but it hasn't really looked the same since Valenzuela and Jay Johnson, who were assistants at that time since since they left, and, and Rich Hill hasn't really been able to recapture that kind of magic. So I don't know what the West Coast Conference is exactly going forward. Gonzaga and BYU are both really good. Pepperdine can't be ignored. These schools aren't going away, but I don't. It feels like the last couple of years may have been a bit of a high water mark, at least for right now, with the WCC. I also wonder, just in terms of like recruiting, because the way those conferences set up, the WCC is almost exclusively, if not exclusively, private, and the Big West is almost exclusively, if not exclusively, public. There are some really good schools in the Big West academically. But, you know, I, I think there is a little bit different kind of recruit going to each of those those schools. But what's hurting everyone out there, uh, with the exception of the the very tip top, like UCLA, Stanford group, is that where kids in the state of California weren't really leaving the state. Uh, Miami had a nice pipeline into Southern California for a while. You know, Ryan Braun, of course, went went to went to play for the for the Canes, but you're seeing a lot more players from that state leave and go east. If you look at SEC rosters, Big Twelve rosters, even Big Ten rosters, look no further than Michigan's. You'll see a ton of California kids. You know, this this is a far broader thing but you know when you look at just the you know the environments that you can go play in in the sec or big time big 12 baseball or even big time big 10 baseball it's different than what you get out on the west coast and so if some of those kids who were previously pac-12 kids are now going elsewhere well now the pac-12 has to reach down a little further and then that hurts the big west i i think the big west might be getting squeezed from both sides on that yeah, we, I mean, there's an even, and we won't have this conversation now, but, um, but you know, there's even a larger conversation to be had about that. I mean, he mentioned specifically, you know, Baylor and Steve Rodriguez, former Pepperdine coach, kind of bringing a lot of that California talent down to Texas. And it's, you know, maybe the the next step of this conversation is, do does a guy like Rodriguez or Backich, who has roots in California, do those guys even, you know, do they end up in jobs in a previous iteration of a league like the Big West? It's a little bit stronger. Do they end up in jobs in other regions or do they end up kind of camping out on the West Coast because, you know, there are elite programs to be had out there and to, to be at the helm of? And, and so I don't I don't know if that's the case, but it's just kind of interesting, like, you know, another level of this where it's like, is the is the drain not just kind of the talent? And then in, in the you know teams in the postseason and the RPI figures and all that, but also kind of the, the coaching movement where you know uh, those types of guys end up at jobs that are outside of what you would assume are their natural geographic region. It, it's it's very interesting. There, there's a lot going on here, and I do I hope the Big West bottomed out. Uh, I, I hope this year was was as low as it can go. I, I hope that some of the coaching changes that that were made in that in that league you know, can help. Eric Valenzuela, like we mentioned, is now at Long Beach. Um, I think that that's an outstanding hire that they made there. Troy Buckley obviously had some really high highs. It got very messy at the end, but Valenzuela has, you know, he's Southern California through and through. Like he won at St. Mary's where, like I said, no one had ever won before. Like he's going to have access to things at Long Beach that he didn't have before. 
and there are a ton of players just like on the on the doorstep of uh, of the university there. So I I think that 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 sets up really nicely. Of course, uh, Dave Serrano, our former colleague, now at now at CSUN, and you know that's a, a return to the West for him for him where he had so much success both at Irvine and at Fullerton, and you know, so I think that's exciting. And, you know, Ben Orloff was a first year head coach last year at Irvine, but, you know, just as a young, fresh face there and, and the success he had in his first season, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, then you look at Checkett's choosing this season, Andrew Checkett's, um, you know, had, had a chance to leave Santa Barbara if he'd wanted to. You know, there were open jobs on the West Coast that were interested and he decided to stay. That's obviously very good news for the league. And Fullerton isn't going to be, you know, last year was the first year in 30 years they missed the tournament. You have to assume the Titans are going to bounce back uh, pretty strong. And, you know, I, I like the changes that Rick Vanderhoek made after the season, bringing in uh, some new coaches. And, you know, I, I think that they're going to they're going to get back there. So I, I'll be interested to see the league this year. I don't know that there's a true favorite. We were talking about a little bit about that a little bit before we came on air. You know, Santa Barbara lost, you know, a lot of hitters. They got some pitchers back. Uh, we talked about the reverse being true at Cal Poly. Fullerton was pretty young last year, so they've got some stuff coming back. And you know, the, the league feels reasonably open right now. Yeah, it looks to me. So you mentioned that maybe the the Big West bottomed out, and I think that's probably the case. I mean, these these brands are, are too, uh, you know, are too are too big in college baseball, and and the the coaches in this league, I think, are too quality by and large right now for for it to, to necessarily go any lower. But I I don't know that that'll be expressed in 2020 in the ways that we typically look at to 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 look at the health of the league because I don't. I, I next year to the point about you not you, you saying there's not a clear front runner that we talked about. I think that's true, and so I think it's one of those years where the league might be kind of a jumbled mess a little bit when you figure, okay, let's Santa Barbara's not quite as good, and you know Irvine's got some pieces back, Trent Denholm chief among them, but maybe they're not quite as good, and maybe Polly's a little bit better, and Fullerton's a little better, and Northridge with with Serrano in charge is a little better, and Long Beach isn't as bad as they were uh, last year, and all of a sudden you've got kind of this like messy uh, league where the the best team and the worst team really aren't that far apart, and or at least the top, you know, five or six aren't that far apart, and and what that ends up with is a lot of teams kind of, you know, kind of on the bubble, but not really any team running away with it, kind of carrying the flag for the league. So I just wonder if next year we see positive movement for the league and things like the quality of play from top to bottom, but we don't necessarily see it in terms of teams in the postseason and making deep runs. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. And you know, one other thing I don't want to harp on on this bit, but. And we talked about it in the interview with Larry, the scheduling philosophy. And he, like Rick Vanderhoek, like Long Beach has had, like a lot of these big West schools have, are, it's basically anybody, anytime, anywhere. And what that lends, it leads to is playing a lot of Power 5 competition and a lot of it not necessarily being at home. A lot of it is at home. They, the, these schools can get big time you know, schools, schools to do home and homes with them. But I, I do kind of hope that some people out there are taking notice of how UCSB put together what it put together last year. And yes, they fell short of hosting. And so maybe you have to aim slightly higher than this. But UCSB didn't play any Power 5 competition 
on a weekend last year still had an RPI that was pretty consistently in the top 20 until the very end and um, won a lot of games. And, and so I just wonder, like, I don't, you know, Fullerton's not going to stop playing teams like Stanford and Texas. You know, that's going to be part of their MO. But, you know, I, I feel like some of these schedules the last couple of years for some of these schools were just too much that, you know, you can't be running all over the place for the first six weeks trying to play as many premium schools as you can. And I get that, you know, I had this conversation with Troy Buckley that the feeling was that that was how you got to host regionals and that that was very important. And I do fully understand that, but I don't know if right now the league and these schools are in a place where that can necessarily be the thing that you're, you're trying to accomplish right now. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that, but you know, UCSB, if they just mixed in like one better series, maybe would have been a host last year. And, you know, they did that by playing at LMU against Hartford, against Pepperdine at Tulane against Cal Baptist against Missouri state and Stephen F. Austin, like these are good, solid programs, but you know, there's no SEC program on there. There's no Big 12 program on there. There's no PAC program on there. So maybe that's something to think about for some of these schools as, as they look forward. Am I being too like pessimistic on on what they can accomplish? Like, should they be aiming higher? I mean, I think you're right. I think there's definitely a middle ground. I think that's what kind of what we're what we're looking for here is. Um, you know, cause you kind of look at some of those schedules and I, you know, I, at Long Beach was the most extreme example. Long Beach is scheduled last couple of years, but you know, I think certainly there needs to be, um, you know, and I had forgotten, you know, frankly how, you know, even Cal Poly last year, you know, I just looked at their schedule a second ago and I had frankly kind of forgotten how, you know, how difficult theirs was early on. And I think they went Oh, and nine in their first, you know, three weekends. That's just, that's just tough. But, um, yeah, certainly I think there's, you know, Santa Barbara had some tough luck too last year. I mean, Missouri State wasn't really supposed to be that bad. If their RPI is in the top 100, they uh, maybe they end up, you know, hosting in the end. So there's some definitely some bad luck there too. But I think it was fairly smart scheduling and, and finding those teams. And it, it's an inexact science because you just you don't really know exactly who's going to be in this sweet spot. But you, you know, you find the teams to your point that are solid and that you know we're not going to completely bottom out. Uh, you know, you want to mix in some quality teams, but you also don't want to put yourself in a situation where, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a team like, like, you know, Cal Poly or Long Beach in the past, you, you kind of know coming out of those first six weeks that uh, your chances of an at-large are pretty much toast because even if you, even if you play really well in conference, you're just not going to have the quality wins. I mean, last year, you know, Cal Poly, their, their quad one record was three and 12. And he, so even if their RPI had been 50 or 60 points higher and that record was, five and 10, that's not going to do it either. So uh, certainly I think there needs to be a little bit of moderation there. It's going to be interesting to watch where the conference goes from here. I think that college baseball fans of a certain age, which isn't even that old, would really like to see the Big West rebound. And, you know, as mid-major appreciators like Joe and I are, Joe's maybe a little more mid-major enthusiast. I'm a mid-major appreciator. Uh, you know, I, I would like to see, you know, some more Big West flavor in the NCAA tournament and ultimately in Omaha. You know, it's fun when Fullerton or Santa Barbara or Irvine or Beach, or whoever is there. 
and you know it, it would it would be great to see some more of these programs having success at the level to which we had become accustomed to. Yeah, I mean, let's. It, it, it seems like a, I mean, simple is not to say it's easy, but I think kind of uh, to the extent there's a it's a fix. I think it's you know if, if Valenzuela kind of gets Long Beach going and you know Fullerton. It, kind of has this one year miss in the tournament doesn't turn into a trend. Like, you know, you can see a, a fairly simple uh, turnaround for the big West where, you know, Fullerton's back to being Fullerton and, and beaches in the mix. And then suddenly, you know, it's okay that Santa Barbara and Cal Poly are, are programs that kind of mix in every couple of years and aren't being asked to carry the flag for the league. So there's a lot to digest there. We, uh, we, we I enjoy that topic. Um, I really appreciate Larry Lee for being as open as he was with some of that to, to kind of touch us off there because it, it's just a very intriguing way that college athletics, you know, hit the, the broader pieces of ch- college athletics has intersected with, with baseball and the impact that it has had on it. And uh, ultimately, it, it just looks a lot different now than it did two or three decades ago. But, um, you know, there, there is there's a lot of tradition out there. And, you know, that's that's definitely something to be appreciated and, and hopefully something that can be brought back. Um, and yes, I am about to segue into ahead of the class plug, because if you are nostalgic for the Big West's glory days, uh, make sure to check out Head of the Class uh, over at store.baseballamerica.com, where you can learn all about how, you know, Long Beach and Fullerton rose to prominence and some of their best years, best players, best teams of the last four decades were definitely Big West players. You know, I mentioned guys like Tulo and Weaver, but, you know, you think about the Fullerton National Championship teams and uh, Mark Kotze, what he was able to do, uh, you know, one of the, the greater uh, players that college baseball has ever seen. So if you are a, a Big West fan, I, I think you would very much enjoy that. So check that out at store.baseballamerica.com. Do it for Jason Windsor and Chad Cordero. Chad Cordero throwing out the first pitch of the World Series just a couple weeks ago. How about that? Absolutely. Uh, Fullerton and Nationals, apparently. Legend. (laughs) Uh, That is what we've got for you this week. Remember to subscribe to the Baseball America College Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you're listening to podcasts, we're, we're probably there. So make sure you are subscribed so you can get the latest content from us when it comes out. And while you're at it, if you can rate and review us, we would very much appreciate that. It does help other people to find the podcast. Like I mentioned, next week is signing day. Next week's podcast will therefore be based around signing day and will probably be published later in the week either on Wednesday or Thursday, as signing day is on Wednesday. Um, So look for that next week. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is Joe Healy, BA. And make sure to check out all of the content over at BaseballAmerica.com. There is a lot of it, even though it is now November and there is no baseball being played anywhere. But uh, at Premier 12 and in, in the Winter Leagues, you can also get coverage of that over at baseballamerica.com if you're so interested. Uh, so we will be back here next week. Thanks again to Larry Lee for joining us. Thanks to Joe for joining me as always. And thanks to you for listening. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.